Uh, last week, we launched a brand new series, brand new series on prayer. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, we have an invitation when it comes to prayer. We have this invitation for normal people like you and me to have access to Almighty God. Anytime, anywhere. I mean, let that sink in for a little bit. A lot of times when it comes to prayer, we, we forget about that. If you want guidance, there, there is an all-knowing God, if the Bible is true, and again, I believe it is, who wants to help guide us. And if you have some sort of need, as, as we all do, there is an all-powerful God who wants to give good gifts. So prayer is this amazing invitation that a lot of times we take for granted. And what if 2018 was a year where instead of these good intentions that we have about prayer, because most of us, we want to we improve in the area of prayer, what if this was a year where we took steps forward in that? You know, and, and just, I want to, before we get too far in here, I want to offer Exhibit A to let you know that I'm right there with most of you. If you're thinking, man, I've got all these intentions with prayer that aren't always fulfilled. This book um, is called Too Busy Not to Pray. It was written by a guy named Bill Hybels, and I'm a big fan of Bill Hybels, and I thought, oh, this title, this is me. You know, too busy not to pray. I have all these good intentions, and I want to pray. So 10 years ago, or so I bought this book, and guess where it's been for the last 10 years? <laughs> Up on the shelf, because I was too, too busy to read it. So I, I have been praying for the last 10 years, but, but there's these intentions that we have of, of leveling up in most areas of our lives, and in particular with prayer, you know, what does that look like? What does that mean? That's why we're putting this series at the beginning of the year. What if we could press into this prayer? If it is that opportunity that the Bible describes, how do we take full advantage of that? Now, in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, Bill Hybels gave an example um, about just this opportunity, and he used NASCAR. So here's our first NASCAR example in 10 years. If you've been waiting anxiously... Here is our first NASCAR illustration in 10 years. Um, it, uh, apparently, uh, years ago, NASCAR had a rule where you couldn't have any sort of communications between you and your pit crew in your car. And so here are these drivers. I, I wouldn't know how in the world you could do this. Keeping track of all your laps, you had to do that yourself. In terms of what place you're in, you had to, had to monitor that. Um, you had to know, when do I need to pull in? You had to make that call yourself. Well, when NASCAR changed the rules and they said, now you can have these helmets with these, these uh, in-ear communication devices so you can be talking to your crew chief, how many people do you think took advantage of that? Probably all of them, I would imagine, eventually. Because now you can have direct communication with your crew chief. And if you've got a great crew chief, you've got somebody that has more data than you. You have somebody who has a better vantage point than you. And you've got someone that wants you to win. So if you have access to that, why would you not take advantage of it? And on a much grander scale, if God is who he says he is, if the, if the Bible is true, then we have greater access to someone who knows more than we do, has a better vantage point than we do, and someone that wants to help us in life. Well, last week, um, we pointed you to a couple resources, and, and I like the book, Too Busy Not to Pray, but if you were going to only read one book on prayer during the series, I'd direct you to one of these two, and I put both of them in your notes. One is by Tim Keller, one is by Philip Yancey. This Tim Keller book, we gave you a, a working definition of prayer that I really like, and we're going to start today with that. If you have your notes, this is a, an outline if you want to follow along with us today. It also has some information on there that you can, can bring home. Um, here's where we want to start with this definition of prayer that I really like. 
Prayer is a continuation of a conversation that God has started. And again, if God is like that crew chief, and in this case, he never gets it wrong, wow, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to take advantage of that relationship, of that conversation? We'd be crazy to opt out of it or to ignore his advice. And here's one of the things. If you do get serious about that conversation, Here's one of the places it's going to take you. And this is what we're going to focus on today. There's a place to write this in your notes. Here's our focal point for this particular teaching today. Sometimes you are the only thing standing in the way of answered prayer. Now, before we go on this topic, I have to, I have to hit pause because this is so important. This is only one week of the series. Some of you need to hear this. We all need to hear it, but some people in particular... It isn't always you. And there's been a whole lot of people who've been beat up because you've been told the only reason you haven't received a healing, the only reason you haven't had an answer to prayer is because either you didn't have enough faith or you prayed the wrong way or you didn't bind the right spirit or there's some deep down unconfessed sin that you haven't let out yet. And sometimes it's none of those things. There was a woman I talked to right after the service and she was just crying and she goes, thank you. Because when my dad died, I, I, we heard all of those things leading up to that. Sometimes it's not. And that's where we're going to go next week. Next week, we're going we're to go into that hard area of what, what, do you, what do you do when it looks like you're doing everything right and, the, and your prayer isn't being answered. We're going to talk about that next week. This week, though, we have to go here. Because sometimes the only thing that is keeping you from answer prayer is you. And every one of the examples we're going to look at comes from the scriptures. So again, this is just one of seven. But this is an important one, because why? if there was something that was standing in the way, wouldn't you want to, and you could do something about it, wouldn't you want to, right? Okay, so that's what we're going to press into today. You know, last week, we, we, we kind of hinted at this, because we, we talked about how getting the words right, prayer's not about that. In fact, words, the actual words we use is probably the least important part of prayer. Because the Father, he hears our hearts. He knows a prayer before it's spoken on our lips. So it's not about getting the words right. But that said, there are perspectives, there are attitudes, there are behaviors that can serve as prayer blockers. And we're going to look at five of them today. And we're going to put some, some scriptures behind each one of them, and we want to look at these. All right, so the first one we're going to look at today, the first of five prayer blockers, and these aren't the only ones, but we only have so much time, is this one. It's very straightforward. Sometimes we don't have because we don't what? Ask. Sometimes it's that simple. Sometimes we don't get an answer to a prayer because we never asked. This is right out of, here's an example of this, right out of the scripture. James 4.2 says this, you don't have because you don't ask. I looked for the most blatantly obvious one I could find, and, and that's pretty much there. Um, I was at a Christmas party uh, this, this last year here, and um, I was talking with Scott Ward, and he was reminding me, he and I go way back. He, he knew me when I was a 20-something youth director in New Orleans, Minnesota. I was at his church. And he reminded me of a story about answered prayer that happened to us. We, we were at this, we'd taken the youth group to this great big music festival. It was one of those big outside Woodstock wannabe Christian, you know, things. And so we went to this big festival and everybody would come and had all the outdoor stages set up. It was a really pretty cool thing. And, and so people would bring tents and we'd set up this huge tent city. Well, at the end of one of these, um, these the, the shows, the range just came down. And it wasn't just a heavy rain. I mean, it was 
downpour. So much so, it didn't matter what kind of tent you had, because at least where we were, the water was ankle deep and rising. So the, I mean, everything was just flooded. Our gear was flooded. Our people were flooded. Our tents were flooded. And it was the last night anyway, so we like, we got to go. Let's, let's load up. So we took all of our sopping wet gear. We didn't even worry about rolling things up. We just shoved it all in our church van. Now, this is really key information for you. Some of you are laughing because you've had church vans before, right? We called our van the Blue Scud because we obtained this van during the Gulf War era and there were these Scud missiles that never hit their targets that, that, that this, this country was using and so we just called this thing the Blue Scud. It was this horrible van. So we were probably better off in our flimsy tents than in the Blue Scud but we're like, at least we can get home. So we're in the Blue Scud. We'd go to turn it and nothing. I turned the key, Nothing. And here we got this van full of sopping wet teenagers. And we're like, oh man. So we tried everything we could think of to try to fix this van. Nothing is working. So we're like, all right, we're these men of God. Let's pray for our van. So we literally get out there. We lay hands on the hood of the blue scud. And we're like, God, we got no other options. Would you heal our van? We didn't feel any tingly things or anything like that. But we go back in and we're like, let's try it. We try it. It starts up. God healed our van, everything except the windshield wipers. But, but, but it was amazing. The only difference, the only difference after trying everything and trying to start it, the only difference was prayer. Sometimes we ha- don't have because we don't ask. Now, does God answer our prayer through mechanics? Yes. Does God answer our prayer sometimes through doctors? Yes. Through police officers? Yes. Through teachers? Yes. Through counselors? Yes. Coaches, employers? Often, usually, God answers our prayers those ways. But sometimes he wants to answer directly. And sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. I came across this excellent quote as I was prepping this week. Tim Keller writes, to fail to pray is not to merely break some religious rule. To fail to pray is a failure to treat God as God. Why? Because he invites us to ask. He invites us to ask. He invites us to pray. And the Bible reveals sometimes, not always, sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Now, along those lines, I want to share an invitation to you guys. I've been reading a bunch of books for this series, and one of them I've been reading is this. I'm just in this, started it just now, The Power of a Praying Parent. Now, the cover, I'm kind of embarrassed to hold a cover that has floofy things on it and all this, but... But what I love about this book is they have about 30 specific prayers that you can pray over a young person's life. And one of the things that I'm going to be committing to doing with my wife is we're going to be praying. We're going to try to pray one of these each night for our own teenagers. And one of the things I was thinking about is I was thinking about today where it says you have not because you ask not. What if as a church we prayed for our young people like this? What if our small group leaders... We're praying for each of the teenagers, the kids in their small group. What if we as a church, some of you don't have any kids. What if you got that book, and I put the information in your notes, and what if you started every day, pray one of those prayers for the teenagers of Emmanuel? Wouldn't that be cool? If we were praying for our young people like that? In the first service, my wife was sitting next to me, and we were singing that second song, The Ever Be. And Laura says, isn't it cool that Callie wrote that? We knew the girl. She was in our youth group. Many of you know her you know, who wrote that song. And there were points in her life, like every teenager, where she hit those crossroads. And she could have gone one way or another. And I bet people are really glad. I bet she's really glad that people were praying for her during those critical years. 
Let's pray for our young people. That's a real specific thing that we could do. Let's ask God to, to, to protect them and to guide them and help them to become everything that God asked them to be. Well, earlier in this message, we, we looked at a quote that said, failing to pray is a failure to treat God as God. Sometimes the problem is we're treating ourselves like God when we pray. Here's another quote I came across from a guy named Daniel Hawk. He writes this. He says, the basic human problem is that everyone believes that there's a God and I'm it. (laughs) Isn't that true? And don't we often pray that way? Which brings us to our number two prayer blocker here. Sometimes we don't get an answer to prayer because we're asking for something that we shouldn't ask for. That's the problem sometimes. The reason we're not getting an answer is because we shouldn't be asking for that thing to begin with. Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done. I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm often praying, my will be done, without stopping to ask, is this even God's will for me? And that can be a prayer blocker. Here's one of several places the Bible points us out, again from the book of James, this time chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. And they're not talking about using the wrong words there. They're talking about motivation, to spend it on your passions. And he says, you adulterous people. St. Augustine is believed to be one of the greatest theologians in history. And one of the things that he believed about prayer was this. He said, until we come to the place where we understand that our earthly circumstances can never bring us lasting peace or lasting happiness or, or, or consolation that are found in Christ, until we recognize that, our prayers are going to be off. They're going to be off. As off, I would add, as a NASCAR driver who pulls into his pit and says, hey guys, throw in some subwoofers. What? Get out there and race. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He says this, don't be afraid that you will ask for the wrong thing. Then does he say, of course you will. So don't let this paralyze you. Oh God, I don't want to ask for the wrong thing. You're going to ask for the wrong thing. It's going to happen. It's okay. God's big enough. He knows when to say no. He knows when to say yes. We all fall into that trap. The question isn't whether or not you're going to pray the wrong thing. The question is, are you going to blame God if he doesn't answer a prayer that he shouldn't answer? Those who understand prayer best emphasize the importance of reading and reflecting on scriptures. They help us to know how to pray. Here's an example to that end from author Eugene Peterson. He writes this, our starting point for prayer must be immersion in God's word. That's where we learn what it means to pray in Jesus' name because we learn the character of God. We learn the heart of God. We learn the mind of God. We start to have our our thoughts and our hearts shaped by God's will. And we don't want to fall into that trap of telling God what he should do or the trap of going our own way and then saying, God bless it. And the Bible is a primary source where we learn what it means to pray according to God's will, which then brings us to our third prayer blocker, which wasn't on this list until about 4.30 this morning. Because it was going to just kind of be an overarching thing, but I'm like, no, this really needs to be on there. Number three, we're not living God-honoring lives. That's our number three prayer blocker. God is patient. God is kind. And because God is love, he wants to guide us down the path that leads to life. And this talk point that I put in your notes, it's not about never making mistakes. It's not about stumbling along the way. What I'm talking about here is God is calling us this way, and we're going that way. Or we're going that way, or we're going that way. And he loves us enough to say, life is this way. And he wants to direct us that direction. 
and this morning, as I was thinking on these things, um, I felt led to these two verses. Um, the first one, we're going to put them on the screen at the same time. The first one is from Jesus himself. The second one was written to disciples of Jesus. And you can see the parallels here. The first is from John. The same author captured both of these. The first is from John eight twenty nine, and that these are the words of Jesus. He says, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him, referring to his father. And then to the disciples, John writes this. He says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We're just called to follow that example of Jesus who could hear and discern his father's will, whose will was one with the father. It's one thing to follow the teachings and example of Jesus and trip and fall along the way, as I mentioned earlier. That won't stand in the way of your prayers, but ignoring his commandments will. And that brings us to our fourth prayer blocker. And this one's going to be really uncomfortable for a whole lot of folks. And anytime a preacher starts talking about money, make sure you fact check them because they often will manipulate those texts to their own ends. All right? But I also would be engaging in pastoral malpractice if I didn't present this clear teaching from the scriptures. So here we go. One of them, one of the prayer blockers is this. We don't give generously. And what I challenge you to do is open your Bibles sometime to the New Testament randomly put your finger down anywhere and just start reading. And chances are you'll come to something about money or stewardship or possessions really quick. It's all over the Bible. And it's not just a New Testament thing. There's several places in the Bible where a direct connection is made between our generosity and our prayers. And here's an example from the Old Testament. Proverbs 21.13 says this, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself cry out and not be answered. There's multiple places in Scripture where you hear this. If we turn a blind eye, a deaf ear to the poor, God specifically links that to prayer. Your prayers will not be heard. If you're ignoring the poor, if you're not caring for others. One of the most profound revelations in all of Scripture, we talk about this frequently, is the fact that we bear God's image. And if we're going to call upon God to meet our needs... As image bearers, wouldn't it naturally follow that we then would respond to God's call to meet the needs of others? That only makes sense. The book of Malachi uses even stronger language than we see in Proverbs and draws a parallel. You can look it up for yourself, a parallel between withholding your tithe and robbing God. Those aren't my words. Those are from the scriptures. And here are the words of Jesus himself as recorded in the book of Luke. It says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now here's something really interesting. I've heard that passage I just read, I've heard that referred to countless times when it comes to giving. What I rarely hear is when you look at it in context, Giving is just one of the things on the list. Let's take a look. Let's, let's back up just like one verse. Here's how that passage begins. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. This is about right relationship with people, right? Giving is just one component of that. And so, as you go to pray, some important questions would be to ask are, like, are questions like this. How much grace 
do you extend to other people? Are you quick to judge them? Are you quick to condemn? Are you slow to forgive? Those things can hinder your prayers. Well, our third prayer blocker had to do with living. Our fourth prayer had to do with giving. And so I had to be all rhymey. And our fifth prayer blocker that God reveals in his word is this. We aren't forgiving. Sometimes that's what's keeping us back. We're not forgiving. Because the reality is this. Every one of us is going to fall short in every one of these areas. Isn't that true? Absolutely. We're going to fall short. And so this is where we can hopefully lighten the the feeling in the room a little bit. As I look out and I see some faces that are just feeling heavy, we're going to fail in these areas. We're going to fail to ask. We're going to ask for the wrong things. We're going to fall short in the way we live. We're going to fall short in the way we give. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we have this God of amazing grace. And he says, extend that grace to others too. Extend that grace to others. God forgives those who make mistakes, provided we sincerely seek reconciliation. All bets are off if you're just going to keep going your own way. Oh, God will just forgive me. Say you're sorry. For real. You know? So think about these five prayer blockers. Here's an important question. In fact, we could have spent our entire time just on this question. This is a great reflection question. I'd encourage you to take this one home. That's one of the reasons we, we have these note inserts. Here's the question. Have you ever stopped to reflect on what your prayers reveal about you? Isn't that a good question? Have you ever stopped to think what your prayers reveal about you? Are there certain things you pray about a lot? Are there other things you don't pray about? When you approach God, how do you approach him? As someone who is, you're entitled to get things from or someone who you honor and praise and really want to learn from? You know, do you feel yourself not able to ask for things? Do you, there's so much we can learn about ourselves if we stop to reflect on our prayers. The way that we pray, the substance of our prayers, probably says more about our true beliefs than just about anything else. And as a person who does my best to strive to be authentic, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. The prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speaks, may it be the real thou I speak to. Isn't that good? That's what prayer is ultimately about. It's about that relationship. Are we being honest before God of here's who I am and and are we being honest about who he is? Good counselors will tell you the most destructive character flaws are often the ones that we don't see or don't admit. And scripture says, let's be real. That's, you know, the, the chief end of prayer is the relationship. Let's be real. Let's allow prayer to go beyond asking for things. Imagine trying to have a relationship with someone and all they did is ask for things. Let's have it go beyond that to really getting honest with God. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. It's your iniquities. They've made a separation between you and God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Again, is that always the case? No, but sometimes... Yes. Last week, we saw that God desires to give good things to those who ask. And this week, we've seen sometimes the only thing standing between you and those good things are us, you. 
So there's a place to write this in your notes. And here again, hear the good news. The scriptures are filled with good news. And here's some of it. Our Father cares enough to say what? Let's try that again. Isn't that great? Not you messed up. You're disqualified. No soup for you. This is, this is God. He's saying, let's try that again. You're a little off on that prayer. Let's try that again. He loves us enough. He cares enough to say, let's try that again. And precisely because he's a loving father, he says that. Because God is just, he can't just ignore our sin. Because God is good, he's made a way for sinful people like you and me to be cleansed of our sins and brought back into relationship with himself and to be restored. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you want to experience more answers to prayer, I want to encourage all of us, include more regular confession. We talked about Acts last week. We said a lot of times we jump to the S, the supplication. Spend more time in adoration and confession and thanksgiving. Philip Yancey says this about confession in his book. He says, confession simply establishes the proper ground rules of creatures relating to their creator. Confessing my sins before God communicates something God already knows. Yet, somehow the act of confession binds the relationship and allows a closeness that could not otherwise exist. In his book, um, Heibels gives this example of his dog, you know, and he says they had this dog that he didn't like anyway, but this dog would always come running to the door whenever he'd come home. I'm so glad to see you, so glad to see you, and the dog would usually try to ask for a treat. and would try to do a trick for a treat, you know. And when Hybels would come to the door and the dog wouldn't be there, he knew something was up. And if the dog was kind of hiding behind the couch, all ashamed, maybe some of you guys have seen that before, he's like, I know my couch is going to be chewed up or there's going to be some deposit somewhere or something, right? God already knows when we rip up the couch. He already knows. But, but that lack of being honest with him and coming before him, that can put this thing in the relationship, right? So why not come clean? Why not come before him and say, God, I'm sorry. And Heibos, he did something that I've been practicing now this week after reading it. He goes, consider itemizing. Instead of just broad categories, actually go deeper and say, okay, name things for what they are. It just, it helps. It it restores that relationship. Here's what it says in Psalm 4.1. It says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. As counterintuitive as this seems, to remind ourselves that God is righteous and we're not. As counterintuitive as this seems, the knowledge that we don't deserve to ask God anything has the potential to draw us closer to God than the false belief belief that we're somehow entitled to be recipients of his grace. And as our vision clears our prayers begin to change. All right. If you've drifted off so far in this message, I want to encourage you to come back because this is the key right here. This is the key to everything we're talking about today. Authentic repentance can open the eyes of our hearts. There's going to be no shortage of things that we're going to do that could hinder our prayers and put a wedge in our relationship. It is authentic repentance that does, does so much. It opens the eyes of our hearts. 
prayer is ultimately, as I've said, about relationship. And before we close today, I do want us to open our Bibles together at least once. And so if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we're going to start here with verse 15. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. We keep them each and every week. They're there at the table. Please take one as a, as a free gift on your way out. All right. I want to give a tiny bit of background here. We don't have a ton of time, but just a tiny bit of background. This is a prayer that a first century follower of Jesus named Paul prayed for believers in a city called Ephesus. And according to one of my sources, Paul wrote a ton of letters. And we have so many of them here in, in, the, in the Bible. According to one of my sources, every one of his letters contains a prayer except Titus. All of his others. Prayer was central to who he was. And Paul, he had always been a religious person. But in his younger days, his zeal for God led him to imprison Christians and even approve of killing them. And I bet during those days he was praying. Can we be praying and be way off? Yes. But he had this change that came over him. Literally something like scales fell from his eyes. And Paul wrote these words years after that event. He said this, for this reason, now he's praying for the people of Ephesus, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not give or cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's the goal, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. One of my sources, I didn't have time to fact check this, but one of my sources said that in all of his letters, in all those times where Paul mentions prayer, he never, um, he never gives appeals for changes in circumstance. That he doesn't say, hey, God, get us a new emperor. Or most of the things that are at the top of our prayer list. According to one of my sources, he didn't do that. I, I didn't have time to fact check that. But instead, what Paul does consistently is he prays for more foundational things. In this instance, he prays for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. In the Bible, when they're talking about the heart, in the Bible, the heart is the control center for the entire self. It is the repository of our core commitments, our deepest loves, our most foundational hopes. It is the center that controls our feelings and our thinking and our behavior. So, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened is to understand something so deeply that it changes everything else. That's what, what Paul is talking about when he talks about prayer. To come to that place where the eyes of our hearts are opened. And when that happens, here's the type of thing we begin to see. Picking up on verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. You know, as I was reading those words, I was thinking, you know, so many people, they're just settling in their prayers. They're saying things like, oh God, you're all powerful. Give me this trinket. Instead of pressing in deeper, saying, God, open the eyes of my heart that I can see you for who you are and I can see what those true riches are that you have for me, the real ones, the ones that would change us. 
Imagine if prayer took us to that place more often. To the place where the eyes of our hearts were open to the goodness and greatness of our God. To the place where we know in the deepest part of our being that he is all-knowing and we can access that guidance. To get to the place where we know he is all-powerful and he can do all things. And he'll give us good things. To the place where we recognize that sometimes, not always, but sometimes, it's us who are standing in the way of answered prayer. The prayers that we want most to be answered. So here's our last set of talk points for this teaching today. If God is who he claims to be, then reflection and repentance are an invitation. If God is who he claims to be, reflection and repentance are an invitation. I've heard so many people falsely accuse the Bible of something like this. They say, look at what kind of God is he? He wants us to grovel asking for forgiveness. That is not the Bible, the the God that the Bible testifies to. The the God that the Bible testifies to is this God who is good. And he's given us an invitation to experience the life that he has for us. And we're the ones, if we're not walking in those ways, we're the ones who are off, not him. This is an invitation to realign our lives with the life that we want most. It's a good thing. So, let's pause and let's do this. Let's reflect on these things. One of the things we've built intentionally into the rhythm of our church is a sacrament that we call Holy Communion. And we build this into the fabric of our life together where at least once a month we practice together what I would hope we would individually practice throughout the day, where we pause and we reflect on our lives. And specific to today, you could pause and reflect on these questions. Are you pausing to pray? Are you asking? Are you even asking? Am I asking for the right things? Are we living as Jesus lived? Are we giving as he gives? Are we forgiving as God forgives? Maybe there's a specific one of these today that God would, would nudge you to explore and to lay before him. And as we reflect, this is so important, last quote of the day, Tim Keller says this about sin, if we forget the costliness of sin, your prayers of confession and repentance will be shallow and trivial. They will neither honor God nor change your life. When we grasp his astonishing, costly sacrifice for us, we begin to want almost desperately to know and love God for himself. Can you see why I like that book? The good stuff. Well, at this point, I want to invite the worship band to come and to get into place. And let's prepare to gather around the Lord's table.